This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys on air, Carlson, in their keeper pools. We are recording live in Ottawa. You're not listening live. We're recording live. Brian's right here. Hello, Brian Com. Hey, Elon. Thanks for coming to Ottawa just to record this podcast. Yep, that's exactly why I'm here. I'm Elon Dubrowski, by the way. And we've got a big show for everybody today. So many players to talk about leading into the holiday break, which is coming up, but there's not going to be a Keeping Carlson break. And let's mention that another website that doesn't take a break is dailyfaceoff.com. Your source for line combinations, starting goalies, fantasy news. If you need information, you go to dailyfaceoff.com. And also, if you really want to stay on top of things, you should follow them on Twitter as well, at Daily Faceoff. Really, really quick updates on lineup situations and shifts in line combos or starting goalies, all available at Daily Faceoff. Yeah, while you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Keeping Carlson. But let's get into the show. I wanted to start by waking a couple of players up because we've had a history in the past of asking if certain players suck because they were slumping and then the next week they really picked it up. And, you know, we did this for Alex Ovechkin. We did this for Henrik Lundqvist. But now let's do this for a Tampa Bay defenseman who came back from injury. Everyone was very excited, especially the people who probably own him in their fantasy pools and Tampa Bay Lightning fans. But let's ask the question, does Victor Hedman suck? Because Hedman, since he's come back from injury, has had like one game or two games where he's gotten points. Like He had a three-assist game. In his last 10 games, he's only one game where he's put up points. So it's three assists in 10 games, but it's all in one game. So most of the time, Hedman is not giving you any points when you start him. He's supposed to be one of our... Elite five, Brian. What's going on with Victor Hedman? Well, we did say Victor Hedman was elite. We did not say that he was immune to regression. And that's kind of what we're seeing. It's just, I think, awkward timing because, yeah, he came back, he had a three point game, and then he went silent again for a while, had another three point game, and is currently silent again. But all his underlying numbers look okay to me. There's nothing that really concerns me. Like, he is seeing 
a good, solid on-ice shooting percentage. In fact, probably a little higher than it should be. He's just not getting in on goals right now. And Elon, if he was producing consistently over the last 10 games, he'd be at, say, maybe like 20 points in 13 games, and that's not a sustainable pace for any defenseman. He still has 13 points in 17 games. So looking at the big picture, with his latest slump, he's now on pace for about 60, 62 points. And as a defenseman... That would be fantastic. That would be great. I think he can still do it. And, you know, you're just, I guess you're you're going to hurt a little bit because he did rack up so many during his first few games of the season. And of course, the other thing that makes me think that Victor Hedman is going to be just fine is you take a look at his deployment. He's still, you know, getting the most minutes on the team, over 20 minutes a game. He's still on the top power play. And when you're on the top power play with a player like Steven Stamkos, you're going to get in on a lot of his points. So I agree, Brian. I think Hedman should be okay. That's why I kind of wanted to wake him up for a couple of people who have asked us on Twitter, asked us on the Facebook group, what should I do with Hedman? And I think the answer is, if you have Hedman, hold on to him. And if you don't have Hedman, now's the time to maybe go to his disgruntled owner in your league and give him a low ball offer. Offer him some defenseman who's doing really well right now. Maybe offer up a Jake Muzzin or a Justin Falk. Who knows? You might be able to get that deal and you'll be laughing at the end of the season. And then the other player that I want to ask the same question about is Corey Schneider. Brian, does Corey Schneider suck? Because this guy is not giving us anything. We own him in our joint pool. Right now, the Devils are just so bad. I don't know if it's Schneider that sucks or the Devils that suck, but now it's been four games in a row that Schneider has played and not gotten a win. He's only played, actually, four of the Devils' last seven games, so he's not even getting all of the starts that he used to at the beginning of the season. Keith Kincaid has come in and done actually pretty well. So at this point, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year, you were saying how Schneider is an elite goalie. If this was a keeper league, you'd want Schneider maybe even in your top three. At this point, do you feel the same way? Like going into next season, is Schneider still a for sure keeper? Or at this point, it's like, okay, you have an okay goalie on a pretty crappy team. How valuable really is that? Well, our discussion of how he was one of the better goalies in hockey was predicated on his even strength save percentage, which is still pretty strong and is actually on its way up. He did have a really rough start to the year, but he seems to be finding his game lately. If you look at his 10-game rolling save percentage, so that accounts for the last 10 games, and it updates, you know, every game, adding the new game and dropping off the oldest. He's actually been trending up for the last little while, and I expect him to keep doing that. He's going to even out sometime soon, but I still have faith in him, and yeah, I think the problem is the New Jersey Devils. They don't score a whole lot of goals. If you look at their roster, they have Yarmir Yager, who has 20 points in 33 games, Adam Henrik, who has 20 points in 27 games, and Michael Camilleri, who has 15 points in 23 games. He's missed time with injury. Everybody else is half a point per game or lower. So Schneider is not getting a ton of goal support, and I think he's doing his job. Maybe he wasn't towards the beginning of the year. We had a lot of talk about how tough his workload was, and I wonder if the Devils are starting to adjust it accordingly because we've seen Keith Kincaid in the Nets a couple times since that discussion. So to answer your question, I think the good news is that Corey Schneider is fine as a goalie. The bad news is that New Jersey is not quite as good or capable as we'd hoped. And it's something to keep an eye on. I still think in the long term, he's going to be one of your go-to fantasy goalies, at least to get starts and decent number of wins. But sure, he's not like Corey Crawford or Jonathan Quick at the moment. So let's say you're in a one-year league, though, and you have Corey Schneider. What do you think his value is for this season? 
Like, at this point, should you be trying to trade him for a more reliable goalie? I think Schneider is reliable, and I think he's going to see a fair number of wins just by the sheer number of starts that he sees. I'm not about to dump him for somebody who's going to see maybe 40 or 50 starts is in a 1B role, or someone who's been really streaky, like, say, Jonas Hiller. He's not as good as I thought, and it is hurting me on one of my teams, but I still have faith I'm not ready to part with him yet. In fact, I'm even considering acquiring him in another one of my leagues. All right, so we're saying now we've got two players so far that you want to maybe try to buy low on, apparently. Hedman and Schneider, I guess people to watch for. I really hope Schneider can get us some wins, but I guess we'll see. Okay, let's move on to the next fantasy headline of the week. That was the first fantasy headline of the week, by the way, people about do people suck. Now let's just talk about a zillion people who are injured, because this has been crazy lately. Of course, it's been the whole mumps thing, but not only mumps injuries, there's been other injuries too. Maybe let's start by continuing to talk about goalies. There's three starting goalies that have recently been injured. Ben Bishop in Tampa Bay, Jimmy Howard in Detroit, and Steve Mason in Philadelphia are all down right now. So there's been a lot of activity in both of my pools anyways, of people grabbing the backups Which of those three do you think, if they're out long-term, do you need the backup? Well, Ben Bishop is probably the one who's going to come back first, and his backup has probably been the best. And Andre Vasilevsky, who came up from the AHL, he's having a fantastic season. Everybody's gotten an early look at the next big goaltending prospect. Yes, your next Jack Campbell or Jacob Markstrom. What happened to those guys? Not a whole lot, and hopefully more happens to Vasilevsky. He's had two incredible starts. Everybody has been in awe. We've been half-tongue-in-cheek tweeting from our Twitter account about just how he is the second coming of the next big goaltending superstar. But again, Bishop, I think, is the one who's going to come soonest from what I've read. So in Detroit, you're looking at Peter Mrazek, former goalie for the OHL's Ottawa 67s. And in a very small career sample size, he's been doing pretty well. He has a 924 save percentage in 14 appearances, which is not anything we can draw a whole lot of conclusions from, but it's not a terrible sign. It at least tells me that he can stop a few pucks here and there. He's only seen five games of action, but I would feel comfortable having him on my team, not relying on him, but if you're a Howard owner, you absolutely need him because Gustafsson's out too. I do think that maybe Mrazek is doing better than Gustafsson would, and I also have a bit more confidence in Detroit's ability to prevent goals than, say, Philadelphia's where Steve Mason has been a surprise in being like a really good last man standing in terms of goal suppression. The defense is letting him down big time. This we saw coming. I don't think we saw just how well he'd play this year. He's been a league average goalie since arriving in Philadelphia, which is a huge surprise, especially considering the step down in defensive ability that he saw in front of him. And I'm ready to give him some sort of, you know, credit or lasting credit for what he's done. He's got a 921 save percentage so far this year. And it's even more noticeable when you look at his backups numbers playing for the same team, Ray Emery, who has never been that great. He's a 907 career average. And he's thrown up an 894 save percentage so far this year, including a really rough outing against Toronto on Saturday night. So naturally, we're going to look past Ray Emery with Steve Mason's injury and see who the next guy to come up is because, well, that's what happened in Tampa and it worked out really well. So the next guy to come up in Philadelphia is Rob Zepp. That's two Ps on the last name. 
That's so funny that you say Rob Zepp. I think there was a bug or something on ESPN for, I think anyone who's in an ESPN pool might know what I'm talking about here. When drafting, he was listed as a forward and the numbers were really wonky. So he was really high ranking in a lot of ESPN's pre-draft lists. And a lot of people are like, who the hell is Rob Zepp? But here he is. He's actually going to play maybe. Yeah, he's been an average goaltender. So I don't think he deserved that wildly inflated ranking. He's been an average goaltender in the AHL. And actually for the last several years, like six, seven years, he's been playing for the Berlin Polar Bears in the German League. And of course, that probably isn't the best way to hone your skills as an NHL goaltender. He's like a career journeyman. He's bounced around from here to there since turning pro back in 2001. You're not about to see an unheralded prospect or even probably not about to see the next Tim Thomas just pop up out of nowhere. I wouldn't be excited about having either Flyers goaltender right now. I'd save yourself the move. So out of those three situations, also Howard seems to be the one whose status we know the least about, which makes me think that maybe he's going to be out the longest. In that case, I think Peter Mrazek is a good add. So if you think both Emery and Zepp aren't people that are going to be able to get you some wins, then that means you must be thinking that Philadelphia is not going to do very well with Mason injured. And who would have thought you'd be saying, man, Philadelphia's in trouble because Steve Mason is injured. But it looks like that's what you're saying, Brian. Yeah, and I, I think I alluded to that. I'm eating a little bit of crow here because I've been really down on Steve Mason for a long time, especially in Philadelphia. But like I said, he's been that one silver lining on that very, very gloomy Flyers back end. I guess if your league doesn't count save percentage or goals against average, if it's like a wins-only type league like ours, maybe one of those Philly goalies might be worthwhile because, you know, there's still is Claude Giroux and Jacob Voracek scoring, for example, yesterday, seven goals in one game. So that's going to help you get some wins. But I definitely like the chances of Mrazek, especially since, as you say, we don't even know who's going to end up taking the reins in Philadelphia until Mason comes back. Yeah, and those seven goals came against the Leafs, who are not as good a team as their record might indicate. They're due to see a few of those coming up. Philadelphia, I think maybe they're good, they deserved them, but they were also maybe in the right place at the right time. Speaking of right place at the right time, did you catch Yannick Weber's awesome goal yesterday for Vancouver to give them the one nothing lead against Calgary? Yes, a very skilled play to be the last one to touch the puck before Calgary put it in their own net. We actually got a tweet about that this morning. Someone was asking, why did Vancouver score an empty net goal in the first period? <laughs> That's your answer. It was a delayed penalty and a great way to get some fantasy points. If you had Yannick Weber, you must have been pretty happy about that. Yeah, his 12th career NHL goal. Congratulations to Yannick Weber. Okay, and moving on to the next injuries, let's go to Pittsburgh. Brian, did you know that Pittsburgh has four injured defensemen right now? Christian Ehrhoff, Ole Mata, Paul Martin, and Robert Bortuzzo are all on the IR right now. So that must mean that there's some new defensemen in Pittsburgh. Is there anyone fantasy relevant right now that people should be looking at that's getting some extra time on this high-powered team? Well, there are four new names on the Penguins' blue line, and some are newer than others, but now I guess we're seeing what Pittsburgh has in their farm system. And the biggest names that have come up are Brian DeMoulin, Scott Harrington, Simon Dupre, and Derek Pouliot. They're all first and second round picks, so there's some expectations attached to each of them. And actually, a couple of their names, particularly DeMoulin and Harrington, have been bounced around a lot in trade rumors lately when talking about how are the Penguins going to acquire somebody to play on Crosby's wing? I'd say the only one that stands out as semi-relevant fantasy-wise for me, and maybe I'm a little too swung by the last game because he scored a goal, 
but is Derek Pouliot. He's got the best pedigree of all of them. He was drafted eighth overall in 2012. And he's the only one who's seen any real scoring success at the minor league level. So he has the least minor league experience, just 23 games played in his career so far. But he's got 20 points in those 23 games as a defenseman. And that's really something to look at and consider. So if I'm going to try and add a Penguins D-man on a wing and a prayer, that's the one I'd go for. Although I wouldn't be too excited to do it. I'm not about to drop any like even 30 or 35 point. Well, definitely not a 35 point NHL defenseman in favor of Derek Pouliot. Yeah, so in Pittsburgh's last game against Florida, that was the first chance for these new defensemen to sort of really step into their new role that they're going to have for a little while. It was actually Pouliot and Dupre who got in on the second power play, and actually both of them got points. Like you said, Pouliot scored a goal. Dupre assisted on Sidney Crosby's goal. So yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch. I agree with you. I wouldn't jump to add one of these guys unless it's a very deep league. But, you know, maybe it's worth looking at and watching, especially if some of these defensemen are going to be out for a while. I would say the real story here is Chris Letang, if it wasn't obvious already, he's going to be getting the bulk of the defense time and the power play time especially. So it's definitely a good time to be a Chris Letang owner right now, as I imagine Pittsburgh will probably keep scoring, even with these guys injured, because they weren't even scoring that many points. You know, it wasn't as if Christian Ehrhoff or Paul Martin were exactly lighting it up. Yeah, and we've been following the trials and tribulations of every Penguins blue liner not named Chris Letang for the course of the season. If Erhoff and Martin and Mata weren't doing much, I wouldn't expect these guys to do a whole lot in there. It's too bad. Erhoff was sort of just starting to pick up a few points here and there, too. And another team whose defense has been ravaged by injuries lately is the Winnipeg Jets. Did you know that they also have four defensemen who have been out and are going to be out long-term? Jacob Truba, Tobias Enstrom, Zach Bogosian, and Mark Stewart all gone. Dustin Bufflin has moved back to defense, which is great for people who owned him in ESPN because he wasn't even defense eligible, but I imagine if he's not yet, he's going to be soon. And actually scratch that, he is defense eligible now in ESPN. But aside from Dustin Bufflin, are there any defensemen on Winnipeg worth owning? Who's getting the power play time there? Paul Postma and Grant Klitsum led defensemen in power play time in their last game. But I don't think there's much relevance to anything going on on the blue line except, Elon, like you mentioned, Dustin Bufflin, nine points in nine games since moving back there. I think this has really been a blessing for him, maybe a blessing in disguise for the Jets, because when these D-men do get healthy, perhaps Bufflin stays back there. He was having a miserable time at forward. He had just eight points in over 20 games played. But since moving back to the blue line, like I said, point per game pace, he's throwing five or six shots on goal in several of his games. His value has gone way up as a result of this decimated Winnipeg defense core. Yeah, I wonder how it feels for one of these defensemen like Enstrom or or Truba to see that they get injured and then the team is just doing so well. They've only lost one game in regulation in their past 10. So the Jets are on fire. They don't need these guys, but these are good players. You'd think that they could only help when they get back, though I can't imagine Winnipeg doing even better than they already are. I'm actually in a pretty deep league where these guys like Klitsim and Postma would be relevant to me right now if you think they could put up at least a little bit more points than they used to. Is there any value in either of these guys? If you look at their numbers, Klitsim has had an assist in each of his last two games, 
And Postma, I have to say, hasn't done very much. Also, another guy that I've been looking at is Harrison, who they recently acquired. Who would you say, if you had to pick one of those three, who would you want? Well, I appreciate that Klitsum is in a new role and has scored two points in his last two games, Elon. But before that, he had one point in 16 games. So I'm not going to get too excited about him. In fact, if you ask me who I want out of those three guys, I would suggest leaving a D slot open and (laughs) grabbing the best forward that's available. Wow. I mean, though, to be fair, you're looking at Klitsim's numbers when he's like the fourth or fifth defenseman on the depth chart. There must be some value to playing over 20 minutes and being on the power play. You're right. He actually played double the minutes last game than he normally has during the season. He's like 11, 12, 13 minute kind of guy. He played 24 against Boston. And they won. So maybe you're on to something, Elon. I'm not ready to make the plunge, but in a deep league, if you're desperate, if you're still hanging on to John Klingberg, waiting for him to start his resurgence, sure, why not go for Grant Klitsum? <laughs> you know, I also, I feel like we've been a little bit hard on Klingberg. I should mention, he's actually still getting decent minutes. We uh, said to drop him after he had a 13-minute game for Dallas, but lately he's back to playing 20 minutes, and he's the one actually getting power play time on Dallas, I'll be at the second unit, but over Alice Goligoski, who's not even on the power play at all. Did you know that, Brian? It's Daly playing on the first and Klingberg on the second. Yeah, Goligoski's fall from fantasy grace is not quite complete. I don't know if it will be completed, but he is definitely a lot lower than we would have thought he'd be a couple years ago on the fantasy totem pole. I think a lot of us were expecting him to be like maybe a 50 point guy because of power play time, but like you're saying, in Dallas, he's not that guy right now. He was bumped from the first unit very quickly this year. He's still got 13 points in 31 games, which is not terrible, but it also does not make him all that relevant. Definitely not worth, like, I feel like a lot of people probably draft him to be their number two or number three defenseman. Those days are gone. He's probably your third or your fourth. So in a shallow league, like let's say a 10-team league, Would you consider Goligoski to be a snoozer? Yeah, I guess that would put him out of the top 40 fantasy defensemen in the league, and I would agree with that assessment. Of course, depends on who's available and what your categories are, but in most generic standard leagues, I would not consider Goligoski in the top 40, like maybe just a bubble guy. Yeah, if it was me and I had Goligoski and I had, let's say, unlimited moves or I wasn't concerned about my number of moves, I'd even rather Klingberg over Goligoski right now. I would just take the guy on Dallas who's at least getting some power play time and I would just shuffle them up and down. Though maybe you would say not to do that because Goligoski has a better chance at the end of the year of being in that role. No, I think what I'm saying now is that I'm kind of past that, actually. I'm not waiting on Goligoski anymore. I'm good to just roll with whoever's getting the power play time in Dallas. Again, assuming you have unlimited moves. And let's stick with Dallas. Actually, another headline I wanted to bring up is there's, again, some line updates over there. We have to bring them up every once in a while. They're so relevant just because if you're playing with Sagan and Ben, both in even strength and on the power play, that's definitely always worth noting. And I want to point out that Cody Eakin is that guy right now on the top power play, on the first line. He had two assists in their last game against Calgary. That broke a long, sort of pointless drought and sort of a pretty weak season so far. Like, there's nothing to look at with Cody Eakin and say he's going to be so great except for the fact that now he's in this position and if he had two assists in the last game who knows where he'll go from there yeah he's like the Devante Smith Pelly of Dallas you know he'll get up to that top line he may or may not do something he won't get too many shots on goal and he's going to be off that first line again in just a matter of time well the people who are hoping you're right the most may be the Jason Spezza owners because he's right now playing with nobodies if you look at his deployment he's on a line with 
Eric Cole and Curtis McKenzie. So playing with guys like that isn't very conducive for points, even for a superstar like Jason Spezza. Also, he hasn't been getting very minutes lately. Like he was a average 17 minute guy for most of the season. But you know, in his last two games, he's played 15 and then only 12 and a half in Dallas's last game against Calgary. Is there something to worry about regarding Jason Spezza? No, not really. I think the only thing to worry about is the fantasy value of any Dallas star outside of him, Sagan, and Ben. It's been really surprising this year to see guys like Hemsky and Roussel and Goligoski all just not really show up on the fantasy landscape. I guess Roussel sort of has poked his head in with some penalty minutes and hits, But otherwise, you know, I think we saw Dallas in the offseason become this, like, kind of like wonderland paradise where I want that guy and that guy and that guy. Dallas is going so far. And really, they've really let down unless you have one of those three guys. You're not so happy with the stars right now. So you're saying that you think Spezza will be fine and get back on that top line and get back to producing? Because right now, I think then that would make him a buy low opportunity. Maybe you could find a concerned Spezza owner and throw him a low ball offer. I don't know, actually, Elon. I don't know if he's going to get up there and at what point. I imagine Lindy Ruff wants to have more than one productive line in Dallas. And you know, line combo speculation isn't exactly my game. I think I would be concerned, though, the longer Spezza stays off, his value will drop. And maybe, like, he's he's still a very good hockey player and he's going to still get several points for you the rest of the season. But yeah, the majority of his points at even strength so far have come with Sagan and Ben. He has not been productive at all with just about anybody else aside from a few little points with Eric Cole, who he's playing with now. And I think that's just a matter of that's who he's spending time on the ice with. It's not like there's wonderful chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, definitely always interesting following Dallas and seeing what's going on there. Let's move on to our next fantasy hockey headline. I've lost count, but hopefully someone here is counting. Let us know how many we had this week. Brian, I want to go to Tampa Bay and talk about Jonathan Druin, who we kind of wrote off as being not relevant for this season. He was getting scratched multiple games. You know, when he was playing, he was playing like 10 minutes. All of a sudden, then I saw he was on the top line, top power play, playing with Stamkos. He even played over 20 minutes a couple of games ago against New Jersey, had an assist in that game. He actually has three points in his last four games. But if you look at his most recent game, he's back to playing only 13 minutes. So I'm so confused. What is up with Jonathan Druin? Is he high? Is he low? Is he going to get played? Is he going to get benched? What do you do? My answer from what I've gathered is all of those things are going to happen. I don't think we ever, or at least I ever, really wrote him off, Elon. I think what we did was we acknowledged that he wasn't about to have a McKinnon-like breakout season and that this would be kind of a learning curve type of year where he'd be in a bunch of different roles. And forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I feel like I've spoken about this before, but it is really promising to see him on that top line and then It is a little discouraging to see him off that top line. I think you can expect to be on that roller coaster for the rest of the year. If you're a Duran owner, perhaps what you can do next time you see him up there, you can try and swing a deal and get rid of him. Especially in a one-year league, you don't need him in a keeper league. Hang on tight. Well, yeah, I think we had just written him off in terms of like we were saying, you might want to look for someone else. Again, obviously only in a one-year league when we're talking about a big budding prospect like Jonathan Druin. You know, when I look at Daily Faceoff and who's on the number one power play in Tampa Bay, there's a name there, Brett Connolly, who I wouldn't have expected to see. He actually scored a goal in his last game. And if you look at the box score of this game, Tampa versus the Islanders, 
Connolly actually had the most power play time on the team, tied with Steven Stamkos. So I don't know if that will last. He only played 11 minutes overall, so I can't imagine he's too relevant. But is there something there with Brett Connolly? Maybe in a keeper format. He's teased a couple times this year. Like, I've definitely found myself checking out his player page after seeing him score goals every now and then because they've also looked like good goals, a few of them. But he has six goals and no assists in 23 games, just 39 shots on goal. I don't think he's that relevant for you this year. But if you're in a deep keeper league, especially if you have a prospect or farm system, he's somebody that's probably already gone, but is someone that you should consider if he's not. Well, yeah, low shot on goal totals for the season. But again, in this last game, there were four shots on goal. So I'm just going to add him to my watch list and see what he does for a couple of weeks. Probably he won't even last on the watch list for very long. You know, ESPN has a maximum number of people you're allowed to have on your watch list. It's very frustrating. I feel like I'm managing my watch list. It's almost like another team that I'm managing. But at least I don't have roster restrictions. I could have as many forwards or defenses as I want. Do you know on Yahoo, you have unlimited watch list spots? I know. Why does ESPN have that rule? Are they worried about you uh, taking advantage and filling up their servers with all of your watch list players? But anyway, enough ragging on ESPN, who we very much appreciate as a resource for this podcast. Uh, here's a headline that we haven't brought up, even though it's, I think, very relevant and something I'm surprised we haven't gotten to yet. Dallas Akins was fired in Edmonton. They have a new coach. And, you know, we've been seeing a lot of chatter actually on our Facebook group. A lot of people have been talking about whether or not this is good for certain Edmonton players. I saw a really promising post where the guy said that he thinks Schultz now is about to break out, which I would love because I picked him way too high in my last draft. Also, Taylor Hall has been doing nothing. There's been rumors that Taylor Hall might get traded. So, Brian, I'd love for you to just break down quickly What's going on in Edmonton? Is there anything that shifts with the coaching change? I don't think anything shifts with the coaching change. What we know about Edmonton is that they are due for some serious luck to swing their way. Their save percentage has been terrible. I think we talked about their goalies last week. Their shooting percentage has been terrible, and it's not their fault. These are the sort of things that you attribute to the hockey gods, and you say it's all going to even out in the end. So Edmonton is kind of just waiting to get theirs. And I think what this boils down to for me, the most important point is that you are never going to be able to buy low on Taylor Hall and Nugent Hopkins and Eberle like you are going to be able to right now. Even Yakupov, I'd throw in there as a guy that you're going to be able to get at a very low price, possibly. Of course, it depends on the other owners in your league. But these are guys that probably will never be available, you know, come two or three years time. So if you don't have them on your team, this is the chance for you to get them on your team. I don't think any of them are really cause for concern specifically. I think the biggest cause for concern for the Oilers is not even luck, you know, it's not even coaching. It's the fact that they just don't have a full roster. They need to add some guys down the middle and shore up their defense before they can really compete. It's sad that a few of these players are kind of being dragged along with it and maybe they're not going to be part of the solution, but in a few years they're going to be part of your solution consistently for your fantasy hockey team. Well, I remember in one of our season preview podcasts, you mentioned Taylor Hall as one of the new elite players. You were saying he's like a point-per-game guy. You want Taylor Hall for sure. At this point, he has only one point in his last seven games. We actually have a patron of the podcast who's pretty down right now on Taylor Hall. He actually traded for him. He traded Tarasenko away and was especially regretting it after that game last week where Tarasenko got a hat trick. Taylor Hall, of course, did nothing in his game that night. If we're not talking about a keeper league, if we're talking just for this year, do you think Taylor Hall can still be a point-per-game player? 
Right now, he's got 18 points in 27 games, so he's not even close. Everyone's perception of Hall is kind of messed up right now, and reasonably so, but nothing dramatically different is going on with him right now. Like, his shot rates are still decent, his shooting percentage is still okay, which would be a cause for concern, but again, I think this is a team-wide issue. I'm not about to get down on Taylor Hall. You'd be well-served to find someone, again, who is getting down on Taylor Hall and see what you can do about it. Elon, we have him on our joint team, and I'm not looking to move him at all. Mind you, we wouldn't get even close to fair value for him at this point. So if you have Taylor Hall right now in a one-year league and you don't want to have him, I'm sorry. I think you're kind of stuck with him for now. The good news is that I think you're going to be happy by the end of the year. I mean, he had 80 points last year. He had more than a point per game the year before in the lockout-shortened season. This guy did not just disappear. He's going to be okay. The Oilers are going to be okay eventually. It should have happened already. It hasn't yet. Let's hope it does soon for everybody's sake. Yeah, and I assume when you say they're going to be okay, you don't mean the team in terms of them like making the playoffs or having many wins, but I guess you're just talking about their fantasy superstars, the Taylor Halls, the Everleys, the Nugent Hopkins, and hopefully the Schultzes. Yeah, you're right, Elon. The goalies probably won't be okay, but I don't, you know, you every, all the we always talk about Schultz, and I never know what to say because he's just so poor defensively and finds himself in the wrong position so often. He's, yeah, okay, he's a 35-point <laughs> guy, give or take five points. There you go. I don't expect him to break out into anything more than that, though. Okay, I didn't mean to get into Schultz here. I just sort of mentioned him a bit tongue-in-cheek. Let's go on to our next fantasy hockey headline. And this is more of a self-serving headline. This is not necessarily a fantasy hockey headline as much as it is a Keeping Carlson headline. Because I just want to say that we've kind of nailed it lately. Did you notice that in the last episode... When we were talking about how Buffalo was on this big streak, Brian was like, I don't think that you should be rushing to pick up Jonas Enroth. I don't think Buffalo is going to be able to keep this up if you look at their underlying numbers. And then this week, Enroth has been, you know, a disaster. Buffalo's led in like four or five goals every game. Also, a couple of episodes ago, Brian said he didn't think Calgary was going to be able to keep it up while they were on a hot streak. He said if you had Ramo or Hiller, you should probably look elsewhere. Also, way back earlier in the season when Ryan Miller was winning every single game, he said that you probably don't want to be too high on Ryan Miller. He's probably going to regress. And since then, he definitely has. Miller was even losing some starts to Eddie Lack recently. So, Brian, just any things you want to say about some of these things that we've nailed? Do you have anyone you want to thank or do you want to be modest about this or just want to brag a bit? I'm going to give you the floor. You know, Elon, that's not really my style. So let's just look at the takeaways here that Eddie Lack has probably some rising value in your fantasy league, especially if it's a keeper. We didn't expect a great year from Ryan Miller so far. A great start is nothing to be surprised at. You know, that happens occasionally. That is how things work out. But it's not how the entire season's going to work out for Miller. So Eddie Lack is somebody you should be considering if he's available in your pool and you need help. Yeah, there was actually a stretch where Lack got in for three straight games and he put up like two shutouts. Well, one of them he came in relief and didn't let in any goals. Then he also had a shutout against Pittsburgh. This is already like a few weeks ago, though. Miller has been playing recently, but Lack did play against Dallas on the 17th and had a 964 save percentage, only one goal against, but unfortunately didn't get the win. That's not his fault, of course. Yeah, I think that Eddie Lack is looking good, especially if Ryan Miller is going to continue struggling, which he kind of has. But that's what you predicted would happen. I also thought Steve Mason has been finished for the last two years, so let's balance that out with he's been doing well. We acknowledge that already. One thing that we've, I think, been on the fence about this year, 
and I think I've been hopelessly optimistic about, and while we're speaking of goalies, is Darcy Kemper. He's been terrible. He has a 903 save percentage now. And remember, he started the year with like those three shutouts or whatever he got, and he's blown all of that. Like, it takes a lot to, to go. I mean, th- those were a small sample of games. You know, there weren't a ton of shots in there, but he blew the save percentage that he built up for himself and is now in danger of dropping below 90%. I don't have a ton of faith in him right now. So maybe he's the next name to be added to this list of goalies who had strong moments and then faded out, except I think I'm a little late to this Kemper party. I think, you know, he he pokes through. There's a little sunshine every few games, but he was pulled in the first period of last game after giving up a Three goals on 14 shots. My faith in him is waning. Yours should be too. I don't know what Minnesota is going to do with their goalie situation because it's not like Backstrom is a viable alternative. That's the one silver lining for Kemper owners. But I don't see how the Wild can roll with those two this season and hope to make it into the playoffs. So if you're relying on either one of them to get you the starts you need, it's time to really start considering your options maybe trade away some offense to improve your goaltending situation. All right, and I guess that does it for our headlines, but we still have some more players to talk about. Before that, really quickly, I'm not going to do a big spiel about it this week, but I want to thank all of the patrons of Keeping Carlson who have signed up to give us a small donation every month, $5. They've joined our Facebook group. We're having a lot of fun on that Facebook group where we talk about fantasy hockey and all of the people's questions and everyone's debating whether you should make this trade or that trade and you post a picture of your lineup and everyone comments. We've been having a lot of fun there. If you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And also, I just want to quickly thank the people who signed up recently. Michael Machniki. 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 I hope that I pronounced your name right. And Richard, thank you so much for signing up to be a part of this ride. We'd love to get some more patrons. So if you are interested, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We had our patron cast a couple weeks ago. Really looking forward to the next one. I think it went really well. You get to see a side of Elon and I that we normally edit out because we're ashamed. That's (laughs) something you can get in on if you join us by being a patron over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Okay, and actually before we get to some more players... I had another player I wanted to say that you had predicted. I just wanted to throw it out there. Last week, you said that Matthew Perot was someone to look at. He's got eight points in his last eight games at this point. I'd love to hear who picked up Matthew Perot after listening to Keeping Carlson. I didn't, unfortunately. He's still available. I still haven't done it. I don't know. But he's doing really well. So if you picked up Matthew Perot or anyone based on listening to the podcast, let us know. Follow us uh, on Twitter at Keeping Carlson and tweet at us. We love to hear this kind of thing. Elon, I picked up Matthew Perot after hearing about him on the podcast. <laughs> you must be pretty happy about that. I am. You actually, I think you didn't pick him up because you were looking more at Mark Scheifele saying he was going to play with the Vander Kane. And I was like, uh, maybe. But you ended up being right. It was Scheifele that ended up playing with Kane. He's seeing better deployment, but Perot continues to produce so i will take him until that stops yeah they were both available in my league actually i didn't have a choice though because i wanted to drop a right wing and shifley was the one with the right wing eligibility right now i'm happy with him but i'm definitely still watching perot i feel right now the top of my watch list is matthew perot and cody eakin who we just talked about who if he you know stays on that top line on dallas he might have some value in the short term but we've already talked about him let's move on to some other players and brian i wanted to start our players of note section of the podcast by talking about a guy who we get a lot of tweets and questions about on the Facebook group, and I don't really get why. People are always saying, should I drop Jason Pominville for this guy? Should I trade Jason Pominville for this guy? Why are people so down on Jason Pominville? He's great, isn't he? 
Yeah, let's take a minute to address all like that ton of questions we get all at once in big ways, but they have come steadily throughout the year. And they all ask us, do I want Jason Pominville on my fantasy team? Should I get rid of Jason Pominville? Do I move him for this guy, Elon, like you were saying? So I'm going to answer that very simply in very few words. You want to have Jason Pominville on your fantasy team. I don't understand, like reasons unknown to me. We have so many people showing us trade proposals that would send him away at way below value. So let me just clarify. What's his value? Over the last three years, he ranks 40th in points per 60 minutes and scores goals at the same rate as John Tavares, Jeff Skinner, Jeff Carter, and Logan Couture. Somehow Eric Cole is also in that group, but that's a bit of a digression. He's way on the decline. Anyway, Pominville was a 65-70 point guy in Buffalo. He hit 80 points once. He's also kept up a 60-point pace during his entire time in Minnesota so far. Yes, he has 23 points in 31 games, and I don't know, I guess that can look weak, especially since he's got only 7 goals this season, and I do generally see him as a goal scorer, like a guy who's capable of 30 goals. But he's shooting at half his usual success rate and could have easily have seen up to double of his shot so far fine the net if he had seen some better luck or seen maybe a little bit more than he should have instead of a lot less than he should have. I will repeat once more, you probably, no, you definitely want Jason Pominville on your fantasy hockey team. Yeah, especially if your league counts shots. He's got 109 shots in 31 games. That's over three shots a game. You don't get that from many people. He's also, of course, on the top power play, playing with Zach Parise and whoever else they throw up there. I guess Miku Koivu's been there lately. We talked about him last week. So yeah, I'd love to get Jason Pominville. No one in my league is trying to drop him, unfortunately. I'm also a little admittedly biased towards him. He did help me win my pool last year, but I really don't think I'm seeing it through that lens. I think in a very unclouded, clear-minded view, Jason Pominville is good for you. Next, I want to talk about a couple of players who don't get a lot of time on a show like this because they're more known for their peripherals rather than their points. But recently, a guy named Jarrett on our Facebook group asked, someone dropped Eberly in my league. Is he worth using a waiver claim on? Players I could drop include Soderberg, Strom, and Matt Martin. And then Brian responded, Matt Martin? Matt Martin? You are shocked that this guy was even considering not dropping Matt Martin for Jordan Eberly. But of course, the thing that maybe you weren't thinking, or maybe you were, but you were still thinking it's obvious to drop him, but Matt Martin is great when it comes to hits. He's actually first in the league. By the way, for those of you who don't know, he plays on the New York Islanders. He's first in the league with 154 hits. Second place is pretty far down. Tommy Wingle is down to 135 hits, so at almost a 20-hit differential. By the way, Brian, damn it, why don't we have Tommy Wingles? We could have picked him up. Now it's too late. He gets points and hits, but Matt Martin just hits, which is very valuable in a league which counts hits. What are your thoughts on a guy like Matt Martin? In a lot of formats, I don't love adding a guy as one-dimensional as Matt Martin. If he's a far-and-away leader, which I guess he is in hits, there's value, but I still feel like it's so much harder to find scoring than it is hits. Sure, you can go down the list, and like I'm sure Cal Clutterbuck, who's third in hits in the league, is available in your league. So I would drop Matt Martin, pick up Jordan Eberle, and then consider picking up Cal Clutterbuck if I'm really hurting for hits. Although again, maybe it's a free couple points each week and those add up over time, but that's not generally my strategy. I understand people who do it. And I just want to give that little disclaimer about hits and how they're counted inconsistently across the league. 
And I don't know if Matt Martin is actually throwing more hits than anybody else. He's just being credited with more hits than anybody else. I just have to say that. I can't talk about hits without getting that off my chest. Okay, and that's hits. And actually, there's a stat that's even more important in our league that we are doing together. Blocks are actually worth 0.5 points per block. And it's like, you know, two and a half points for an assist to sort of put things in perspective. Four points for a goal. And there's a guy who is at the top of most people's list when it comes to blocks that we never mentioned, but Josh Georges, defenseman on Buffalo, he's right near the top of the league. So if you are looking for blocks, we've seen people talking about how he's actually very valuable, and I never really considered it. But now if I look, he's got more fantasy points than the guy I am going to be referencing in our snoozers section. So that's a little hint about what's to come. But you know, depending on your league, a guy like Josh Georges also might be valuable. Another guy who has a lot of blocks, by the way, is Andy Green, who I didn't expect on New Jersey. And he's actually potentially capable of putting up points. He hasn't done it this year, but he has done it in the past. So that's another guy who you might want to keep an eye on if that category is counted. Yeah, for posterity, Chris Russell leads the league in blocks, but Elon, the guys you mentioned, lead the league in average blocks because Georges has missed some time this year. Also up there is a guy named Roman Yosi, who we've talked about frequently over the last couple years. He's someone who's going to block a lot of shots, take a lot of shots on goal, and put up points even on the power play too. He's somebody who, if he's available in your league, he's still not a household name, but he will be. I think he's going to step up into a really important role as, oh, it hurts to say this, but as Shea Weber starts to decline. I'm not going to say it too loud so I don't offend too many people, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Maybe it's already started happening. And Roman Yosi is the guy that you want on your team as insurance if you're depending on Weber or to get a leg up and have the next Weber in Nashville. Although, I, will he be the next Weber? Mm, hard to say. Probably not, but he will be the go-to guy on the Preds blue line for a similar role, and for that reason, I would like to have him on my team. I would imagine the other person on Nashville who would challenge Yozy for that top spot once we don't have to consider Weber would be Seth Jones, who got drafted very high last year, but so far he only has six assists, and that's all of his points on the season. Six points in 31 games, so at this point... Yosi's definitely number two behind Weber, at least when you're looking at fantasy value, and especially with these blocks. And as we approach the end of the show, Brian, why don't we do a quick lightning round? I know you have a couple of other players you want to mention, so just give us a quick spiel about a couple of guys. Last week, we gave credit to Evgeny Malkin as a player who nobody goes out of their way to appreciate because of such high expectations. I'd like to follow that up this week with another. Let's just quickly note Washington's Nicholas Backstrom, who's up to 34 points on the year after picking up three points in New Jersey last night. That was his fourth multi-point effort in his last 10 games played, and he sits in the top 10 in NHL scoring. He was in the 2006 draft class that included Phil Kessel, Claude Giroux, and Jonathan Taves. You might be surprised to hear that Backstrom is the only one of that group to have a point-per-game pace over the course of his career so far. And that was a little tidbit via Stephen Wino on Twitter. I think he gets lost in the shuffle a lot because of Ovechkin and people say, ah, you know, he just gives the puck to Ovechkin and Ovechkin scores. But Backstrom is more than that. He's more than the Tyler Bozak to, you know, Phil Kessel sort of role. He is good. He would do fine on his own as well. And I don't think he gets his due. I don't think people realize that he's a point per game player over the course of his career. So now you do. He's awesome. He's on my team. Maybe that's why I'm so happy about him right now. But he's probably taken in your league or you have him and his fate is determined for the rest of the year. 
Someone who might be on your team is Brayden Shen. And I was actually going to give a little appreciation lap for Shen too, because he's ranked 98th overall in my Yahoo League, where anything in the top 100 is pretty much golden. But the thing is, Shen has really slowed down over the last month or so. In the last 13 games, he's slipped back to a half point per game pace. This is after an incredible start that saw him pick up 7 goals and 8 assists for 15 points in his first 19 games, but he just hasn't sustained it. He's been back on the second line since Raffle returned from injury, though that shouldn't really be a big deal because he's been roughly as productive alongside Wayne Simmons as he has been for Czech and Giroux. All this to say, instead of saying, hooray Braden Chen, period, I'm going to say hooray Braden Chen for what you've done so far from October to November. But maybe if you own him, you can sell high on him. He puts up shots at a rate that are similar to a number three defenseman, and he can't keep scoring goals the way he has by doing just that. He's still got fantasy value. He still plays on the top power play unit in Philadelphia, which is a great and very talented place to be. But I don't think for the rest of the year he does as well as his numbers and his high fantasy ranking would indicate. And if you can jump on a deal now that sends him off for an established 50 or 55 point guy, then you'll probably be pretty happy with yourself in a few months time or even dropping him for somebody who's available in your league that you think is going to trend up because I think... Shen has plateaued, trended back down to where he is, and I think he's going to sit at around a half a point per game pace for the rest of the year. Don't be sad because it's over. Be happy because it happened. (laughs) I had that quote on Facebook in 1998. How'd you know that? Facebook didn't exist in 1998. 1998 is a long time ago, isn't (laughs) it? (laughs) It feels like just yesterday. Last guy I want to talk about is Justin Williams. He's owned in fewer than half of Yahoo leagues, likely because the former one-time 60-point guy picked up just two goals and two assists in his first 16 contest, which was very uncharacteristic of him. He's flirted with a point-per-game pace since then, and he's one of the more prolific shot-takers per 60 minutes in the league. Last year's 43 points was probably a warning flag to Pulis also being disappointed by his slow start this year, but don't get too hung up on it. It's in the past. He might have dropped a tier, over the last couple years, but he still could be a valuable guy to have on your team. He's still going to score some goals, put up some points in LA. He hasn't fallen off completely. He probably doesn't deserve to be in free agency in most leagues, and I think he's at least a bubble guy in nearly all leagues right now, so keep an eye on him. Add him to your watch list. Yeah, he was streaking for a little while, but he is back to being pointless in his last two games, so I guess he's definitely, like you say, a bubble guy, at least in one of my leagues, my other league, I'd love to have him because it's super deep. But in the one we're sharing together, we actually did pick him up. And then we dropped him for Yarmer Yager, who had a lot of games this week. And he's done nothing. So we're probably going to be dropping him soon for the next guy. Probably not Justin Williams. Actually, I think he got taken. But regardless, definitely someone to keep your eye on. Let's move on to the snoozers segment of the show. And Brian, I have a snoozer that I want to talk about. It's time to talk about it because we've had this guy on our team and I get concerned that we're snoozing on him. Are we snoozing on Alex Edler, defenseman for Vancouver? He's their top defenseman. He plays on the top power play. Everything should be great. They have the Sedins. The Sedins are doing well. You'd think, okay, that must mean Edler must be getting in on a lot of their goals. But the fact is that he is not. At this point, Edler has three goals and six assists for nine points in 32 games this season. That is much less than a half point per game pace much less than what we would have expected from him. Considering he's a former 49-point player, he's 
been somewhat reliable to get at least half a point per game early on, though I look last year, he only had 22 points in 63 games. So is Alex Edler on the decline at this point? Is he a snoozer or is he, you know, a buy low and a hold on to if you have him? I think you hang on to him for sure. He certainly has not been so great in terms of point production this year. He's seeing as much power play time as he normally does, so that's promising. He's not seeing a great on ice shooting percentage, which is, well, that's kind of promising because it's bound to go up. I think he's going to be okay in the long run, and he is producing enough peripheral stats to make it worthwhile to hang on for now. Elon, in our league, I think even though he's not putting up a lot of points, he's still keeping up with what we could reasonably expect from a defenseman. But yes, those points would be the cherry on top. Something I have noticed is that his deployment has really shifted over the last couple years. He used to see most of his team's offensive zone starts. Now he sees amongst the least. Although he is doing really well in that position in terms of possession numbers, it's probably not helping him score a lot of points. He had just 22 points in 63 games last year, and that was his first year under this kind of deployment with John Tortorella. Before that, he was a, you know, a half a point per game or even more. Guy, I don't know if we can expect him to get back there. I'd be happy with 30 points plus his continued production of peripherals for us. But if your league isn't counting those peripherals, it might be time to move him off your roster if there's a better option available. You don't want to have lost out on him if that production starts coming again. But at even strength, he's going to have a difficult time and he's really going to have to start capitalizing on his power play opportunities to get those numbers up. All right, well, there was my submission for snoozer. And it looks like you're saying he might be a snoozer, maybe not, depends on your league's format. Brian, do you have a snoozer submission? I have two, but neither of them are exactly snoozers. So the first one is going to be someone who is on snoozer watch. And of course, he has been for me ever since his torrential start to the season, where he had a point-per-game pace pretty much over his first 14 or 15 games. I'm talking about Tyler Toffoli, who has not scored a goal in his last nine games, has just seven points in his last 19. Those are not fantasy-relevant numbers. Yeah, he's seen bad luck lately, but it's to balance out the good luck he saw at the beginning of the year. Right now, he's sitting at a place where I expect him to roughly stay. I thought he could probably be a 40, 45-point guy at the beginning of the season. I still see that happening, but people who are dreaming of 50-plus, well, I think it's becoming a little bit clearer that perhaps it was all just a dream. And perhaps he's going to be an official snoozer in the next couple of weeks. I'm not ready to brand him yet, but I'm warming up the iron. Okay, and this is interesting because I didn't realize you had a second snoozer you were going to talk about this week. Brian, who is your mystery second snoozer? My mystery second snoozer, Elon. Well, this is kind of like an honorary snoozer. We're we're waving goodbye as he rides off into the sunset. After a glorious career, Thomas Vokun has retired. And that's actually really sad to see that be the truth. He was one of, believe it or not, Elon, he was one of my first keepers ever in fantasy hockey And he helped me a lot. He never really picked up a lot of wins on those terrible Panthers teams in the mid-2000s. But remember, he was part of a really surprising and awesome Nashville team before that. And if you look over the last seven years, for goalies who have played more than 10,000 minutes, he ranks second in even strength save percentage in that time behind only Tim Thomas and ahead of Roberto Luongo, Henrik Lundqvist, Pekka Rinne, Jonas Hiller is next on that list, believe it or not, after his great days in Anaheim and Halak and Craig Anderson and Carey Price and Jimmy Howard. These are all beneath Thomas Vokun. 
So congratulations on a wonderful career to Thomas Vokun. I don't feel like he ever got the credit he deserved. I wish he got another shot with Pittsburgh before he had to call it a day. But alas, it won't happen. I will miss him as a fantasy stalwart. Well, Brian, that's kind of touching. But he's retired, so he's a snoozer. Okay, (laughs) let's close out the show. Thanks again to everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. We also, of course, appreciate anyone who gives us a five-star review on iTunes. All we want for Christmas this year is some more five-star reviews on iTunes. So if you have it in your heart, go ahead, click the button. You don't even have to leave a review, though you can. You can even just click the five-star button. But also another nice Christmas present would be more patrons. So if you're interested in that, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get all the information. I'm going to stop rambling. Hopefully you found the show enjoyable this week. Please hit us up on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you made any moves based on anything you heard on the show or if you disagree with anything. Also, I did that whole segment where I was just complimenting us on all the things we got right. I'm pretty sure you're thinking, I remember a lot of things these guys got wrong. Let us know. I want to know what you think we've gotten wrong. But with that, Brian, why don't we cue that outro music? And read us the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Joyous Kwanzaa, and through all the holidays, please continue to keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>